0: Hello, and welcome to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss the future of the beauty and wellness industries with the people who know them best. I'm your host, Priya Rao, beauty editor at Glossy, and today's guest is Robert Scheffler, the CEO of curly hair care brand, Diva Curl. In this episode, Robert talks about why niche brands should stay in their lane, how DivaCurl is approaching experiential marketing, and why he prefers brand ambassadors over influencers. Hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Today on the
0: Glossy Beauty Podcast, we have Robert Scheffler, the CEO of Diva Curl. Welcome, Robert.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Robert, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of Diva Curl, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you land in the beauty industry?
1: Absolutely. I landed here by accident. I was uh, a young business student, and I wanted to break into marketing. And I, at one point, asked one of my professors, what's the best place to start? And he was very adamant. He's like, consumer goods. you got to be in consumer goods. That's where all the magic happens. That's the best school for marketing, hands down. I never thought it would be beauty products, to be honest with you. I was pretty young in my 20s, and I didn't see a guy going into, you know, big beauty companies like L'Oreal, Unilever, or all of the big guys. Um, but I got an offer from Henkel, a big Fortune 500 company out of Germany. Uh, They were recruiting people that were very heavily interested in international business, and so I started out in their international product development. Um, I was actually put on hair color, which if you're a 24-year-old male guy and you have no clue what's happening in hair color, is actually like the worst category to start, but it's a really nice uh, introduction to everything beauty. Um, Hair color is extremely emotional as a category, at first, I thought it was all around covering grays, and I found out it's much more. If a woman transforms her hair color, that's a big moment in her life. And tapping into those emotions is like what really hooked me to beauty. I think it's such a beautiful category. It has a, such a unique connection between the consumer and the product and, of course, the company behind those.
0: So, Robert, when you think about your career, you spent a lot of it in hair. What was attractive about that space, specifically?
1: So about 15 years now in hair, jeez, I'm getting old. Um, Hair is, going back to beauty, obviously everything beauty is is highly emotional. Hair especially is such a um, signal to the world. And, you know, we'll talk about curly hair in a second, a sec, a second. but um, hair is really the biggest you know symbol. When you go outside and you and you show yourself, one of the first things people see is your hair. And in many cultures, not in every culture, but in many cultures, it's the number one product or category that women invest in. And um, so what I found fascinating is, again, the, the deep emotional connection and what you can do with hair. You can transform it. It's a statement to the world. And you can make a woman and a man feel extremely beautiful and strong when you give them the right product and the right education.
0: So in hair right now, we're seeing a lot of uh, disruption, if you will, from indie brands, upstarts, DTC um, front runners. So what do you think is happening between those upstarts and those newcomers, between the prestige or luxury players that have kind of dominated the industry?
1: I think it's a fascinating space for us right now. I think what's happening in hair is, is something that's happening across many industries, of course. Um, But what you're seeing is I think the small brands are really winning, and they have a unique formula, and I think the big guys are really scared right now, and they're looking at these small brands and saying, what do they have, what I don't have? And I think the old playbook that worked for many decades um, is – probably not working anymore so you know it used to be back in the days you had one big product launch you would have one big campaign you might put a tv spot on and you might put a facebook campaign on and you would go to your walmart or target and your friends at all those big retailers and you would have a big launch and now i think what you're seeing whether you know it's kylie in in cosmetics or it's it's some of the smaller hair players is it's really not about size anymore i think it's it can be actually a disadvantage for you to be huge and um I think the smaller indie brands are doing a great job at being in touch with what the end consumer of today really, really wants. And um, the barriers of entry into the market are so low now, they're they're honestly doing a better job than the big guys. And so you're seeing a lot of people. What I'm seeing in the industry, too, is people are leaving the big guys, including myself, and saying, I think the cool fun spot right now is the small black guys to play with.
0: So, Robert, you've been at Diva Curl since December, so you've been there for about six months. What attracted you to the brand um, from the get go?
1: Diva Curl is one of those personal like, favorites of mine. I think it's one of those jewels in the industry. It's so different, it's so pure, it's so emotionally connected to its um, stylist and the end consumer at the same time. And it's carved out this perfect niche. I mean, I have not seen a connection between a brand and the community behind the brand. Um, like like, like that at all. Maybe in hair color is the only other category that I see that is similar emotional. Um, no, but the curly girl loves diva curl. And once you're inside and you see what that connection looks like, it's very hard to ever leave again. We have a lot of people that are just so deeply loyal um, and they stay with us for, for many, many years.
0: So you talked about niche a little bit ago. What about being curly specific and only curly you think is resonating with your customer versus growing to a larger scope?
1: I think the curly girl has gone through a journey. Um, by the time she normally finds us, um, she has tried so many different things. And she's normally fought her natural curls for decades. And it starts really like growing up. Um, a lot of moms and, and parents don't know what to do with curls for their for their kids. And so at one point in your life, you normally start straightening it. You start straightening it or you start chemically straightening it. And then it's this thing where you're really fighting what your natural texture, hair texture looks like. And um, At one point, you normally then find out that that's not everything there is on your head. You have actually beautiful curls if you use the right product, if you use it in the right way, um, and that's why education is so important in this space. And um, so what I what I find fascinating about Diva Curl is we're there for you along that entire journey. And it's not just Diva Curl. Many um, several of the the curl brands do a really good job being really focused on that core audience. The one thing I don't believe in, and I've tried this many times, being part of a big corporation before, is I tried to launch sublines and curl. You know, I was like. This brand could also have a curly line. This brand could also have a curly line because it's a really attractive and and big market. But the curly girl can, can really tell if someone is just focused on her and if they're making just products for her that really work. And that's the difference with Diva Curl is the product is pure and just focused on her.
0: So you're not interested in necessarily doing a straight line or a wavy line? No.
1: I think that would be... That would be giving away the biggest um, equity piece we have, which is um, we're so focused and so loyal to one target group. And that's, I think, what everybody can tell once they start using us. You cannot be everything to everyone. And that's, I think, what the big guys are doing wrong right now is they're trying to be everything to everyone. And that's worked for many, many years. But the small brands right now have an opportunity. They're so focused. And that's Steve that's A. really, for Curly Girls.
0: But that's kind of antithetical to what is traditional in beauty, you know, you kind of grow and scale through more products, through more channels. So when you arrived at Diva Curl in December, what did you think the opportunity was to scale?
1: I think that that's that's kind of the new world we're in now. I don't think you need to necessarily branch out to scale to the, you know, 100, dollars 300 million dollar level that everyone wants to be at. Um, you know, with um, the partners that we have, retail partners like Sephora, like Ulta, Um, with channels like Amazon and your own uh, DTC platform, you can get to those numbers now without really trying to launch 17 different sublines. And so... Um, what I saw as an opportunity for, for DivaCurl, first of all, was it's a, such a phenomenal brand. Number one, I wanted to just listen. I wanted to understand what the brand was about. And then number two in my playbook is normally, okay, if I figure out what is the strength of the brand, and it's very clear with DivaCurl what it is, it's the products, it's the community, it's the emotional connection to that end uh, and consumer and the stylist. Let's double down on that strength. And so for me, the runway for DivaCurl was really what can we do um, that is already inherent in the brand and do it even better? And so, over the next couple months, of what we've already developed is just doubling down on this. So we're we're going back to our heritage, which really is in the salon, which gives us incredible um, authenticity and credibility in the space. We're going back to innovation because we are the originator of a lot of these franchises. We invented no poo, you know, like the whole idea of not shampooing, but. Doing no poo into your hair is is the diva curl idea. We have the diva fuser, which looks like a green hand. You know, like if you ever have attached it to your um, blow dryer, it's such a unique patented tool. There's so many breakthrough moments from that brand. We just got to break th- bring those out again in the future.
0: You talked a little bit about the professional channel, which is kind of um, seems to be having a little bit of a missed opportunity with other brands. What do you think is important about that for you?
1: The professional is still for me the original influencer. Um, you know a lot of us invest thousands and thousands of dollars in influencers and I love my influencer community. but the original influencer is really the person that cuts your hair, styles your hair every couple weeks in in, in their chair. Um, we all go get our hair done. We all do. I don't I don't see a robot ever replacing the the stylist. and um, we know from research 70 to 80 percent of something that your stylist recommends, you will eventually purchase. Maybe you don't purchase it from her or him right away, but they have such a large influence over your purchasing decision. I mean, part of the reason I think Amazon is installing their program where they're bringing in the stylist is they're realizing the stylist is such an important factor in your purchasing decision journey. Um, it even goes to the point where you know they, they are incentivizing the stylist throughout the journey of whatever they are talking to their client about in their chair, if you end up purchasing from Amazon, you will eventually earn some commission from it. I think that makes total sense because when you go to the stylist, you end up talking about your life, you end up talking about your family, you talk about your problems, and all the great things that are happening in your life. And so, if that leads to a purchasing decision, ultimately the the stylist had a part in it.
0: How does that balance with your more prestige channels like Sephora? Uh,
1: Sephora is so important. I, I cannot stress how important I think Sephora still is in in, in our world. And continues to be, and I think will be, especially when we when we go international. Sephora is a place where people discover new brands, and it gives them the credibility. Um, and I think Sephora has done a phenomenal job in building brands together with those partners. So um, Sephora, for me, is 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 a is a is a brand equity builder. They they give you a halo effect for your other channels, and they've been a true partner to the brand.
0: How do you think that's going to play forward as you move into international, which has been a focus for you guys recently?
1: Sephora is, is obviously international there. We are with them in Brazil, for example, um, and obviously they have European and, and Asian stores, and they're just going back to Hong Kong, as you guys just reported. So there's a lot of stuff happening with them. Um, I think they have the same, they carry the same weight internationally, but not as much in hair. So one of the things that we, we want to be a partner to them is build out that hair category internationally with them. As they are growing, we should be growing with them.
0: So what's happening in Brazil? What can you tell us?
1: <laughs> Brazil is one of my favorite topics, obviously. Um, I think it's such a dynamic market. It's, um, it's got so many different uh, players in there. It, you know, it's not an easy place to be. Let's start out there. Um, you have to produce locally if you want to make any money. You have to have local partners that are very strong. But we have a unique story. Um, one of our co-founders is Brazilian. And he has his connection and his network in Brazil. And many years ago, actually eight years ago, we started a Brazilian business. And it's been um, growing really nicely over the years. And we're, we're ready to kind of supercharge that growth. So we build out academies over there now. We're bringing in on additional distributors. But we're also looking at e-com, which is a huge factor in Brazil. And we're, we're making a huge play in the digital space, whether that's social medias and influencers that we're really going after in Brazil now.
0: How does that um, Brazilian strategy with e-com and social mirror what you're doing here in the U.S., or is it different?
1: It is It is much more local. For example, the um, the role that soap opera stars play in Brazil was not clear to me until uh, we were talking with our local team. Um, you know, Some of the local soap opera stars have 40 million followers on Instagram. That's to me, is, is a number I, I kind of I had to double-check. You mean four zero? Yeah, forty million people follow this, this soap opera star. So, you 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 follow a similar strategy that you're looking for local relevant um, influencers and people that really have an organic connection to your brand. That's the same strategy around the world. We're not one that we just go for the biggest name and we press our product in your hand and let's talk about our product. No, we're looking for people that have a natural connection to the brand. And so a lot of the celebrities that we work with now actually started posting about us and tagged us, and now we're just approaching them about a more formal relationship. Um, Ecom is, is actually very similar to our own website. It is so important to us. We want to have as much direct connection to our consumer. We want to know where you are, where you are in your journey. We want to help you along, because one thing about DivaCurl we have to acknowledge, it's not the most simple line to uh, switch to. You know, we make you really change your routine. So one of the things, key parts in the digital strategy is education.
0: And that comes with your own personalization quiz and what products are right for you. How has that been working for you?
1: The curl quiz is the number one thing on our on our website because still today, most people that come to our brand don't know quite what have they been doing wrong or what do they need to get bring out their natural hair texture. And so it's such an important tool that I think we can build out even further and we can partner with some of our, you know, retail partners to bring that kind of knowledge to them because we know the number one thing for this category is she still does not know which product to shop for.
0: And does that necessarily lead to conversion right away, or is it something later down the line?
1: Happens both. You you get purchases right away because people finally figured out, okay, this is the product I'm supposed to be using, and it's, some of it is just additional uh, knowledge for her to to kind of start forming her purchasing decisions. So what we're seeing is oftentimes she checks multiple sources. She checks blogs. She checks our quiz. She checks naturallycurly.com, who we, are doing a phenomenal job in educating curly girls. And then she arrives at a purchasing decision. And by the way, she uses so many different brands. It's not just DevaCurl. We know she mixes um, like her favorite cocktail of, of products, and that's perfect for us. We don't, we don't want you to just think Diva curl, we want you to think category. Ultimately, it's about growing the pie for all of us.
0: And how do you think as a category that can expand in obviously retail doors? Because it's still kind of considered niche in some stores.
1: Yeah, I think you're, you're seeing, obviously, much bigger play here. Um, you're seeing Ulta creating a texture aisle, uh, which is a huge moment. I mean, a couple of years ago, if you told someone, okay, we're going to have this curly texture category stand out and have its own kind of space in the stores i don't think anybody would have believed you but the it's more than a moment it's really a movement and you're this this trend for lack of a better word is here to stay so the retail space i think we're we're seeing because we're so successful as a category we're just gaining more and more shelf presence and i think uh, well deserved
0: (laughs) what do you think about the balance between you know brands like you know Shea Moisture, who kind of really treats that really, really curly textured customer versus something like Briogio, which is kind of sits in the middle and serves a lot of different customers. How does that overall grow the larger pie?
1: I think that's a beautiful thing. As I said, like she's using so many different things and she keeps trying different things. So um, having a variety of offers, that I think is beautiful for her. You're going to see a lot of more celebrity launches in our in our category. And I think that's welcome. Um, if, if that helps bringing attention to the category and overall make curly, super curly, or wavy girls believe that, yes, if I've just used the right product, I can bring out my natural hair texture, that's that's a win for all of us. So um, I think everyone has a unique take to this. Um, I, I think Nancy at Briogeo does a phenomenal job. I think they have really carved out a great niche for themselves, but so has Shea. I mean, like, none of them do something that I would say doesn't help grow the pie. Um, ultimately, what I think will happen in Ulta is, um, because it's now one section, she's gonna try several brands, and the one who supplies the best product is gonna win her loyalty, and that's great for us.
0: How do you kind of build that loyalty through experiential events? Like, I know you're going to Curl Fest in July, as well as Essence Fest. What are those up about?
1: I think events are so important. The one thing with social is, I think social only works if you have real content, and if you have real moments off experience. And so events is when I think a brand becomes approachable, when you can experience it more than just in pictures. And so Essence um, is a huge moment for us. Uh, That's 800,000 women descending on New Orleans, and it's considered a Super Bowl of everything that is um, African-American. And so we have this opportunity here to really address the super curly girl. Um, As a brand, we have been growing from just a core audience around curly, we have been growing it to wavy, curly, super curly. And we weren't quite ready to make that investment and really be present at something like Essence Fest. You have to remember that's where McDonald's, Coca-Cola, I mean, the big guys are playing. Um, but we've been one of the most requested brands to participate in Essence, and it uh, just feels right now. I think we're, the, we're at the moment where we have established the right product line and the right brand awareness to be at something like at Essence. Um, and I mean, CurlFest is almost like a, a home game for us. We love CurlFest. Uh, last year, we basically ran out of samples, I think, in the first three hours. Um, because people just really, really wanted us to be there and really wanted to experience the brand, I think we're perfectly positioned to let her experience us, and then hopefully that creates, you know, a trial and word of recommendation, and then loyalty over time.
0: So talk to us a little bit about that investment, Robert. Um, what kind of, what are you kind of doing from an activation standpoint that makes it you think it'll be worthy of that investment?
1: So the discussion internally has been. Uh, Incredibly uh, intense because it's a big moment for us. Um, I mean, I won't disclose exact figures, but it you know y- you easily pay seven figures to be in something like Essence Fest when you do it right. And in order to really have a return on investment, you have to not just. Be at the event and have a great event you have to have pre-seeding. you have to get all your media out of it and then you really it has to live on beyond essence fest and so the team has been challenged to come with something very unique something i probably shouldn't and cannot reveal right now but when you see us there um you will know that it's really about the creative idea if you have something that is different um then i think it's totally worth uh, your time being there and your investment um and the team um, basically has promised me this will live beyond just a weekend of the 4th of July. This should be living for the next three to six months on social and on all, all channels that we can activate.
0: How do you guys feel about the gifting opportunity and the sampling opportunity? Because that's so much about of what happens at these festivals or at events.
1: Sampling is key. Um, we are still, even though you know the brand is doing phenomenal and we're just exploding, I think we're still at very low brand awareness and it's such a big moment for us to be to, in front of a bigger audience like this. What's key for us is what is entry into the brand? What is the one product? If I can only have five seconds with you, what is that product that I need to get into your hand to convert you into a loyal consumer? And so we've had some really uh, intense internal debate about it, but it's ultimately about finding the right product for her. And it's with Super Curlies we have a select group of, of products, but one of our number one sellers. Super cream, and she—it's just a perfect conversion for her. If she gets that product in her hair, I—she normally becomes a loyal follower for life.
0: When you think about how social plays into this, and obviously the influencer space, because influencers will be at, at Essence Fest and they will talk about the product afterwards. What's important to think about?
1: My my take on um, influencers is just they got to be authentic and organic to your brand. Um, I mean, even the word influencer, I think you and I have had a lot of debate about influencer is not my favorite term in the world. I think it's gotta be really a brand ambassador. If someone really feels strongly about your product and yes, you have a relationship with them, and yes, maybe that, that benefits both sides, that's great, but there's gotta be authentic, true trust between yourself, the product, and the influencer. Um, and so, what I, when I think about that, it really means being selective and and, and really figuring out who has a natural uh, connection to you and your brand before just going into a database and saying this person has X followers, let's pay her X. That's I think that is where again the big guys are. They they understand influencers are important, but they don't understand we have organically grown a network of you know, 50,000 people that are, have micro, macro um, influential levels, and uh, that takes time, and that's, that's personal, and you can't just pay an agency and say, all right, I want five influencers Let get me the same results. Um, this, again, goes back to the theme that we talked about earlier. I think this is just where indie brands do a little better than the big guys.
0: When you think about influencers specifically, like, do you think that spend is worth it when you are dealing with 50,000 people?
1: I think so. The the What I'm not convinced about anymore is that it's necessarily about 5 million followers or 1 million followers. I, I do see a lot better return on investment when we go to the people that have 50 or 100,000 followers. Their relationship, their engagement is a, just a lot better. when you have these mass influencers um i mean that's great it depends on your product category you know they have a place and i mean obviously they have they have a lot of followers um but my my personal take on this is you see a lot better results in return on investment when you go to the medium and smaller influencers
0: Robert, one thing we didn't talk about when we were talking about e-commerce a second ago was just this idea of customer acquisition costs are rising. You know, it's something that all the digital players are facing, which is why they're, you know, leveraging their positions in retail. How are you guys handling that?
1: It's interesting. We're still at the beginning of our e-com development, I would say. We have this incredible um, platform that's developing really, really, really well, and I think a lot of strategics would be really jealous of having something like this. But... If I look at what we're doing now, we're just at the beginning of acquiring new customers. Basically, what we're currently serving is the extremely loyal Diva Curl user who just wants her product from us, and she, she knows she wants it from the from the from the trusted source of the brand. Uh, we're not aggressively acquiring new customers, um, and that's something you know we have looked at. We're doing the basics. We're doing paid social. We're doing you know Google. We're doing all the all the good stuff, but we're not aggressively uh, going down the funnel yet. Um, that's something that the team is working on for 2020 specifically. What we're doing currently is actually replatforming our entire website, and um, we need a couple things in place in order to just be more effective. One example, for example, is loyalty. You want to have a loyalty program. At the size that we're getting to with our own website, You know, she, Sephora has a great program, Ulta has a great program. If you want to be... At least on par with those guys, you got to offer her something in return for her return and her purchases, right? And so that's something we're going to roll out across um, the board when we roll out our new website.
0: Have you thought about subscription at all?
1: Subscription is like my favorite topic. I mean, from a CEO perspective, oh my gosh, wouldn't it be great to know, oh okay, got I got you know X amount of people who just want their package every week or every month, and and um, you know, it's it's a really steady revenue stream from a CEO perspective. That would be phenomenal. Um, we're trying to figure out what would be the right bundle because, you know, curly girls are very specific. Um, hair length plays a plays a role. How do you tailor make something um, and get her on on give her something that really adds value for her? So it's not just you sending her product, you're sending her product. It should be the right combination. It Should be exciting, but it should be her steady stream of what she really needs. And so we're playing around with it, and it's something that we're building into the new, new website, but we're not quite ready yet to launch.
0: What are your repeat purchases like? What can you share there?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, what I can say is she's extremely loyal. Um, the one thing about a DivaCurl uh, user is uh, I've never seen loyalty like this. Um, once you are with the brand, and I can't share which retailer, but you know we've been recently discussing data, is she just keeps growing her basket with us. So over time, she normally starts buying one product. And then she comes back and repurchases, and then she starts adding the second and the third. And what we've just been seeing over the last three years, as we were looking through data, is some of these girls, and really uh, also guys, are up to like seven different products in our in our brand now. So we see extreme loyalty, we see repeat, and we see growing basket over size.
0: And you're considered a prestige player in hair.
1: Yes, that's the that's the wonderful thing. I mean, we have um, we're really solving a problem for her. So I think we are very. Very much able to um, justify uh, justify premium price, which I will say is is wonderful for us as a business. But there's real value in that product, so we we feel great about it.
0: Um, Robert, you talked a lot about you know the benefits of being an indie brand, the growth that you guys are experiencing. But also on the flip, we're seeing you know bigger companies, whether it's the L'Oreal's, Estee Lauder's, or um, you know bigger M and A companies looking to acquire these kind of companies. What's your position on this? And would you sell?
1: That is a phenomenal question, Priya. <laughs> the coming from a private equity background, I mean, we have to be we have to be clear. Um, we're currently owned by a phenomenal private equity shop called Ares. Um, they are a huge partner to us. They've really invested in the brand. But ultimately, at one point, you're going to exit. That's just normal in private equity. Um, is this something that needs to happen immediately? No. We're just doing phenomenal right now, and I don't see any scenario where this needs to happen immediately. But I have to see, I mean, I have to be honest with, with when looking at the space, we are tre- extremely attractive brand. Uh, we fill a niche. We own the category. Um, there's going to be a point in time where you're going to grow to a certain size where you're going to show up on the radar of those strategics. And having been on the other side, of course, it, I would love if I were strategic to to have this in my portfolio. So is there an exit at one point? Absolutely. I think that's going to happen. Is it going to be with a strategic? I think that would make a lot of sense. Um, but do we need it? Not necessarily right now. I think a lot of the cool things that we talked about earlier with indie brands is, still applies to even a brand of our size. You can do a lot of these things without necessarily being part of a strategic network. For example, take going international. A couple of years ago, you would have needed... The big network of a L'Oreal or a Henkel or a Unilever, to be present in a hundred countries. Look at um, a brand like Olaplex. They've done a phenomenal job at being present in a hundred plus countries, and they're still independent. And you can now work with a network of master distributors or independent sub distributors, and get yourself present in those prestige markets without necessarily being part of a strategic. So, yes. I see us at one point being part of a strategic simply because I think that's just part of the game that we're we're, we're part of. But um, do I need to do that right now? Absolutely not. I think there's incredible runway in front of us.
0: Thanks so much, Robert. It was great having you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. A special thanks to Gianna Cappadona, the producer of this podcast. As a thank you for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, we're passing along a limited time introductory offer on a three-month subscription of Glossy Plus. Glossy Plus members have access to unlimited content, exclusive research, and more. Join today for just $49. That's 80% off by entering the code INTRO at checkout. For more information, head to glossy.co slash subscribe. We'll talk to you next week.